Excellent. If you could make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And please open up in your Bibles to Judges chapter 9. Judges chapter 9 is our passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading here in just a moment in our Seeing Christ in All of Scripture series. So please open up your Bibles or your phones. Let's read God's Word together as a church family. And as you open up to Judges chapter 9, I got a very happy text the other day that Caleb and Megan got engaged. So where's Caleb and where's Megan? Caleb's over there. Megan's over there. Yes. How exciting is that? So, it's great to see you guys. Congratulations. God bless you both. So Judges chapter 9 is the passage of Scripture we're going to read this morning. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. So let's read God's Word together. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? That all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of baal Berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubal, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, 
If you have dealt well with Jerubal, who's also Gideon, and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled. And went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come. And their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. And on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. Turn over to verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city. And all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father, and killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. And Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The title of the message this morning is Sowing and Reaping. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we encounter your living and active word this morning, oh Lord, pierce into our hearts and convict us of sin and and help us to see our need for a Savior. Lord, the book of Judges shows that the people of Israel needed a Savior. Lord God, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And Lord, we see where that gets us as man, Lord wickedness abounds and we see that in the nation of israel and we see that in our hearts lord we need a savior just like israel needs a savior and i pray that our love for you lord that you sent your son as a savior for us would deepen and that our faith would grow stronger as a result of us hearing your word today in jesus name amen amen we're going to cover chapters 9 and 10 today in this in this uh Sermon, and the first point is going to be selfish ambition sown, destruction reaped. 
Second point, idol worship sown, misery reaped. And then the third point is Christ sows and we reap. So let's look at selfish ambitions sown, destruction reaped. And brothers and sisters, where we see selfish ambition is right here with Abimelech, who was the son of the concubine of Gideon. And he did not like that his 70 brothers who lived in Ophrah were ruling instead of him. And it all started with an idea, and that idea is in verse 2. Which is better for you? That all 70 of the sons of Gideon or the sons of Jeroboam rule over you? Or that one rule over you? It starts with that idea in the heart. But Abimelech's selfish ambition rises up, and we see a great lesson here in Judges chapter 9, as we'll see also in Judges chapter 10, that what one sows, they will also reap. And here, selfish ambition by Abimelech is sown. And destruction, not just his own, but destruction in the lives of others, is reaped by this man. James 3, verses 13 through 18, in a passage many of you really know well, says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's there's an opposite to selfish ambition, and that's meekness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. After Gideon died, or Jeroboam died, his one son decided to rise up in selfish ambition, and through cunning, got himself into the primary leadership of Israel through undermining and killing his own brothers. This is a grievous story of how everyone doing right in their own eyes leads to the suffering of others. Seventy men killed on one rock. And how wicked is that? In 3 John 1.9, the Word of God says, the Apostle John says of a man named Diotrephes, who was in the church, who likes to put himself first and does not acknowledge our authority. So there was a man in the early church named Diotrephes who liked to put himself first and did not acknowledge the authority of the apostles. And there will always be such individuals, but there is destruction that is reaped by those who sow it. And we must take stock and look into our own hearts as we look at this passage and apply it to our own lives, we can look and distance ourselves from the evil of a man like Abimelech because we haven't killed 70 people, but we got to understand that selfish ambition first starts in the heart of us, and it starts with an idea that seems kind of innocent. Which is better? That all 70 rule or that one rule? And that question begins to get the people thinking, and 
Here they didn't know that this man Abimelech was putting himself forward to be that one man and the wickedness that he would commit to get himself to be king. If you remember in the last chapter, Gideon refused to be king over the people of Israel. He wanted God to be king and ruler over the people of Israel, which was so noble and wonderful. And that's part of why Jotham, his one remaining son, says that you have done him wrong and actually says that there was a good man who was 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 there who actually refused to rule over you as a king, but instead you chose the bramble. You, you chose a briar brush to be your king and your leader as Gideon, as Jotham got up and pronounced that curse over Abimelech and the people of Shechem. There are those who always like to put themselves first and not acknowledge the authority that God has ordained in their lives. They must have the power for themselves. They don't like to be second. They don't like to be under. They need to be on top. And brothers and sisters, we need to look and see that these things reside in our own hearts as well. And selfish ambition, when we we sow it in our hearts and we nurture jealousies, as James 3 says, and selfish ambition, it leads to eventually every vile practice being produced out from it. And so we all need to take this to heart. It it starts in the heart, but it leads to great outward evil. And I want you to think here, not just about selfish ambition for power and position and status, but also for pleasure. There are individuals who are driven selfishly, ambitiously for pleasure in this life. And it can start with an idea of, I just deserve to be happy. And so the thought of deserving to be happy leads to a fire that begins to burn and actually can hurt your loved ones and your family and your brothers and sisters and and beyond. So Abimelech went to his father Gideon's house and killed 70 of his own brothers on one stone. And he hired the men of Shechem to help him. And they were willing to do it. Not only will there be selfishly ambitious people, but there will also be individuals who are willing to follow such people As well, we learn in this passage, they promise innovation and they promise progress, but really what they're seeking to do is to elevate themselves. And so we must recognize that these things are going to be the case. Jotham is described, describing Abimelech as a bramble, a a bush, a bush of thorns worthy to be burned. And again and again in the scriptures, fire is invoked as a picture of judgment. Jotham desires to see Abimelech devoured. And he also desires to see the men who followed him be devoured by him. And so this curse that's pronounced by Jotham here at Mount Gerizim, you got to remember what Mount Gerizim was. You remember this back in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 when it was prescribed that the people of Israel would gather at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, which formed a very natural amphitheater between two mountains. Jotham was up on the top of Gerizim, and he cried aloud when all the people were gathered. And so Abimelech and all the people around heard this curse of Gideon's son, Jotham on Abimelech and the people of Shechem who had done a wickedness. They heard this curse, and then after 
Jotham pronounced it, he bolted and fled to a town to get away because he had already known that his stepbrother had already killed 70 of his other brothers and he needed to get out of town. And so he does that and he pronounces the curse. But what's what's interesting, brothers and sisters, is that very curse is what comes to pass. The men of Shechem begin to, and we see the reason why, if you look at verse 23, it says, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So within this selfishly ambitious faction, and Abimelech now in power as king, he has wicked men working against him and undermining him, and All of it was, as verse 24 says, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. God is returning. He is causing Abimelech to begin to reap what he had sown. But before he does that, he has Abimelech rise up and actually bring destruction on the men of Shechem. That was the section I didn't read to you there, but in Verses 26 all the way to verse 49. You can read that story later. It's, it's fascinating, but the, the men of Shechem rise up in intrigue against Abimelech. Abimelech finds out about it, and he comes and destroys them. and destroys a whole city of the Shechemites. And fire coming up and out from Abimelech burns and destroys. And literally, a tower is burned, and a thousand people are burned alive, and and killed because of this man and his zeal for himself. And you see, again, just this image of the book of Judges and the memory scripture we have, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes in the book of Judges. It's it's a picture, brothers and sisters, of how much Israel and us needs a Savior. But then he goes to Thebes, and he goes to set siege to a second tower, After he destroys the Shechemites, Abimelech goes, he's like, hey, I burned one tower down, I'm going to burn another one down. And we see his ambition, even once he becomes king, it doesn't stop, it just continues to grow and burn like a fire in his heart, and it begins to burn and destroy more and more people. And God says, enough is enough. He goes to burn the second tower down at Thebes. And in the providence of God, in verse 53, a certain woman threw an upper millstone for grinding down on Abimelech's head, and it crushed his skull. And God stops Abimelech dead and brings the very curse of Jotham, played out perfectly upon not just the Shechemites who were burned, but also Abimelech who rose up like a wicked fire. And God put that fire out and brought judgment and death upon Abimelech. No evil, brothers and sisters, will escape judgment from God. That's an application here in this passage. A man or a woman reaps what they sow. If we sow selfish ambition, destruction will be reaped. We don't always see justice come about immediately, and that's part of the struggle that we can have in life, we see, and you see in Psalm 73, in the Psalm of Asaph, where Asaph says, man, my, my feet almost stumbled when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why do you prosper the wicked, Lord? It seems like 
the wicked prosper and we get all the suffering and there's, there's no reckoning of justice because justice takes time. And God is patient towards those who are wicked and rebellious. If God wasn't patient towards the wicked and the rebellious, brothers and sisters, not one of us would be sitting in this room right now. We are all here because of the kindness and mercy and the patience of God who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But just because justice comes slowly and the wicked sowings of a man doesn't receive its reapings right away, don't ever, ever make the mistake of thinking they're going to get away with it. No one gets away with anything with God. He sees everything. And no evil will escape judgment from Him. It will have its day of recompense and vengeance. And Jotham pronounced the curse upon him. And the curse came about. What was affecting me as I was thinking of the curse of Jotham is, you know, it actually says in the Word of God that we likewise were under the curse of sin. And he realized when we were taking communion that the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus took our curse upon Himself and suffered being cut off from God, damned by God, so that we might now have the curse removed and instead we are now forever blessed. Those of us who by grace have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus. Is that not good news? That the curse has been broken over our lives. God's been so good to us. And God returned the evil upon Abimelech. And we can also take heart. We don't need to take vengeance. That's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. We are never to take vengeance over those who have wronged us and sinned against us, but we are to leave room for God's wrath, Romans 8 says, because God is a God of justice and will repay evil. And he returned the evil upon Abimelech here. And this passage is meant to remind us and reinforce that truth. He always brings forth his justice. Let's go to point two. Israel sows idolatry and reaps misery. Israel sows idolatry and reaps misery. In that section there in, in uh, 10, 1 through 5, it's actually, it's a beautiful section there where there's a man named Tola and there's also a man named Jair. Both are judges who faithfully served Israel between the two of them 45 years. So you've got 45 years of peace and you see that that doesn't get a whole lot of ink. Faithfulness to God rarely gets a lot of ink and acclaim in the world, but it is glorious. And we should aspire, as 1 Timothy 2.2 says, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, and live our lives out between the time when we are born and die here as believers in Christ. We should live our lives faithfully. Because the Bible says, well done, good and faithful servant. We will receive great reward in heaven for the good deeds that we do throughout our lifetimes. But it's not going to get the acclaim and the applause of the world. And don't let that ever turn your head. Don't ever think that 
your good deeds done in secret are not noticed by our Lord. And that, that's one of the lessons there in Judges 10, 1 through 5. But then we see in verse 6, this pattern repeat itself. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 10, verse 6. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. In previous sections, brothers and sisters, what we saw was that Israel forsook the Lord and turned to one God. Here it's like, give me all the gods I can possibly get and from as many nations as I can possibly get. You see this growth in wickedness begin to take place in the people of Israel, which is so sad. And so point two is Israel sows idolatry and reaps misery. Look at what happens in verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was severely distressed. Sin leads to us ultimately being severely distressed. It cuts us off from God if unrepented of. And it leads to a fire that will ultimately lead to everlasting burnings and judgment from God, brothers and sisters. Sin leads to misery. Sin always promises that it's going to bring pleasure for the long term. And the Bible is very clear about sin. Sin is pleasurable in the moment. It actually says in Hebrews that sin is pleasurable in the moment, but in the end it is bitter as death. And so we must remember, because Satan always baits us with the pleasure of sin in the moment, but what it doesn't show us is what verse 9 says, is that Israel was severely distressed because they had rebelled against God. And look at verse 10. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Mayanites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Look at verse 13. Yet you have forsaken me. You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. What? We, we are so accustomed to receiving mercy from God that we begin to take it for granted. And God says to him, look at verse 14, go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel respond in verse 15 and, and thank God for His grace. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. And then look at their response to verse 16. This is genuine repentance. So they put away the foreign gods. And may we do the same, brothers and sisters. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. That's a great picture of repentance to God and turning away from our sin to serve the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. In order for us to be saved, we must flee from sin and turn away from our sin and wickedness and lay hold of Christ by faith 
to serve him. And we see what takes place here. God, when he saw that response, look at this amazing description here at the second half of verse 16 in chapter 10 of Judges. And he, speaking of God, I love this, became impatient over the misery of Israel. God became impatient over the misery of Israel. For those of you who are in Christ, God became impatient over the misery that your old life and my old life of sin brought about great distress in our lives and misery. And God, in His kindness, did not just hand us over to our wickedness and rebellion to go into hell, cursed and cut off with fire, being our just judgment forever in hell. God did something about it. He became impatient over our misery, and He said, I'm going to send my Son to save these sinners. To save you and to save me who by grace have believed. Israel sowed idolatry and they reaped distress. They reaped misery. But God did not remain aloof from their misery. Even though He comes at them strong here, that strong coming toward them with chastisement melts their heart in repentance and fresh faith and commitment to the Lord. And the Lord, instead of allowing them just to reap the consequences for the rest of their lives, God became impatient over the misery of Israel. And He raised up a deliverer whom we'll look at next week. Thank God, brothers and sisters, that He becomes impatient over the misery that our sin has caused in our own lives and in the lives of those we've hurt. God has been kind and gracious to save us because He is mighty to save. Isn't it so good to know that when all is lost, and when we come to the end of ourselves and turn to the Lord, we find that God is a God who is impatient over the misery we are suffering. Do you know what it says in Isaiah 63.9? In all their affliction, speaking of Israel, the people of God, in all their affliction, He was afflicted. And the angel of His presence saved them in His love and in His pity. He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Isaiah 63, 9. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them. In all of our affliction, He's afflicted. He is so one with His people. He so identifies with His people. And you see this in the New Testament when Saul is persecuting the church and he, Jesus, comes and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting the Christians and the church. He wasn't persecuting Jesus directly, right? Jesus so identifies Himself with the people whom He's died to save that when they are suffering persecution, He says, Saul, you are persecuting Me. 
and I'm feeling it. My people are afflicted, and I'm feeling it. God's people here are afflicted, not because of persecution, but because of their own sin. And God becomes impatient towards their misery and their severe distress. And in his kindness, he raises up a small less savior, a judge to come and deliver them out from the Philistines and Amorites. Brothers and sisters, how much better is it for us that we have a God who sent his own son Jesus to deliver us, a capital S savior, to come and die on the cross and not just deal with the consequences of our sin and the misery that have taken place because of our sin, but he sends Jesus and Jesus doesn't just deal with consequences and misery of sin and break us out from the consequences to give us peace again. Jesus Christ comes and deals with sin itself and overcomes it and destroys it through his death and his resurrection and the consequences of the wages of sin being death. He rises from the dead to break the consequences of sin as well. So He conquers over both sin and He conquers over the wages of sin through His death and His resurrection. All because God became impatient over your misery and mine. We are here today, friends, because our God has been so merciful and compassionate. Why did He not just leave us? So great was His love and His pity for us that He sent His own Son to die, that we might live. And the third and final point is, Christ sows, we reap. He wasn't selfishly ambitious. Christ is the highest. And yet it says in Philippians chapter 2, that you know the path He took? He emptied Himself. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not be like Abimelech, striving with jealousy and envies and trying to climb the ladder of this world to greater and greater worldly esteem and power and pleasure and success. Let us take the pathway of Jesus Christ and empty ourselves, taking the form of a servant and to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the greatest, Jesus said, amongst you is the servant Let's not have and look to only our own interests, but also to the interest of others. Jesus emptied Himself. He was born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. But before that happened, It was death. Christ reaped the judgment and the wrath that our sins had sown. And you know what we get in the Gospel? We get the forgiveness. We get the wrath of God satisfied. We get mercy Christ in His perfection sowed perfect righteousness and never sinned once in His life. And we sinners, when we believe in Christ, we reap what Christ sown. God chooses to credit us us with Christ's perfection through justification. He chooses to deliver us from the wrath of God through His shed blood. He redeems us. 
from our sin and delivers us out from our misery and our severe distress. And that's why, brothers and sisters, God has exalted Him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. And I love this verse. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know if you've pondered this lately, but I think about this when I just look out in the world and you read the news and you just see an entire group of people and even cultures here and abroad that will not bow the knee and rage against God. Their knees will bow. Their tongues will confess. Brothers and sisters, never think for one moment that our resurrected Lord and Savior is somehow not going to have the final word or somehow they're going to go without needing to drop the knee. No, brothers and sisters, everyone will drop the knee. So let us drop the knee right now in love because if you don't drop your knee in love and repentance and in faith, we will drop the knee in fear. The only person who reaped What he did not sow was Jesus Christ. He never sowed wickedness because he never sinned. And yet he reaped the punishment of our sins when he died for us on the cross. In our place condemned he stood. And he sealed our pardon with his blood. He was condemned. And we who have believed in Jesus have been justified. We have reaped the eternal blessing that Christ has sowed with his perfectly righteous life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, when we marvel, we look at Israel's history, and we see the way that you were impatient towards their misery. God, I pray that you would comfort each and every one of us how you've also been likewise impatient with our misery as well. You've been that way. You've seen us in our severe distress. And even where brothers and sisters are in severe distress right now, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you, and they would lay hold of you afresh and repentance and faith, and and take hope, Lord, that you sent your Son to die for them. And Lord, if you sent your own Son to die for them, how will you not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Lord, you are so good toward us, your people. We don't deserve it, but we're so thankful that we have your mercy and, and your grace and your steadfast love. Help us to remember today how good you are and how good you have been. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us also to reap what we haven't sown. We are reaping loving kindness where all we sowed was death in our sin. And we just thank you so much, Father, for the gospel that you would send your Son to sow what we now reap in our salvation and to suffer what we had sown in our wickedness and rebellion, when he died in our place. We love you so much, Jesus, for being willing to undergo such a sacrifice in order to deliver us from the misery that our sin had sown. Thank you that our eternal future will not be misery and will not be severe distress. But for those of us who are in Christ, our eternal future will be non-stop pleasure and blessing as we behold you, Jesus, face to face and as we enjoy the new heavens and new earth. Oh, Lord, help us to flee from the wrath to come and to lay hold of Christ this day 
so that we might enjoy such pleasures and see you face to face because there's nothing more beautiful than that. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.